Theology is the science that studies the characteristics and attributes of God. In simple words, we can say that uh, that theology is what Bible teaches about God. And you know how wonderful it is that theology is super important that we can have a proper concept, correct concert and concept and precise concept of who God is. Without a theological study, we will have an erroneous view of who truly our God is. And this is very dangerous because we will end up creating our own God that is comfortable for us and that is idolatry in which is condemned greatly in Scripture. For example, in one prayer many years ago, a co-worker said, Juan, I believe in God, I believe in God, but I do not believe in the God of the Bible that allows pain. And he showed me passages like the one we're going to study today. And you know, he said a great truth. He believed in a God, but not the God that is described in the Bible. He believed in a different God and a comfortable God that he had created according to his imagination. We are before a passages, a passage, my brother, that has caused a lot of controversy, not just in the secular world, but also in the Christian world. For, look what 1 Samuel says, 15.3. Now go and strike everything that they all have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, and infant. When we give the order that God has given, it is very difficult humanly to comprehend it and even accept it. When we read passages as this, what comes to mind about God? The theology, A.W. Tozer says this, what comes to mind when we think about God is what's most important about us. With this phrase, Tozer, what he's saying is there's a great urgency to know God correctly and the God of the Bible. There's an illustration that I heard that is very appropriate in order for us to introduce this theme tonight. Imagine that someone decides to leave work early to surprise his wife, but the one surprises him because when he gets home, a young, athletic, and good-looking guy comes out of his house and gets into his vehicle. Not just that. His wife, very happy, says goodbye to that person. What do you think this husband's going to do? What do you think he's going to do? Do you know... Already understand A.W. Tozer's phrase better. The first thing that comes to the mind to that man about his wife is what's going to be most important. If he trusts completely in her, he's going to say, You know, I think my wife bought me something big and that this guy went and placed it in the house. That's why she is so happy. But if this man thinks, 
does not trust in his wife, what is going to happen is he is going to have jealousy and will take him to a great anger. What comes to mind when we think about God, that's what's most important about us. Let me ask you, when you read passages as this, what do you think about God? Do you still trust in Him completely? There are circumstances that are difficult to explain in, the li in our life as this passage, but nonetheless, this passage will give you three reasons to trust in God despite of what you see or feel. Three reasons to trust in God despite what you see or feel. Remember that God is just. Remember that God is patient. And remember that God is omniscient. These three things will help us to trust in God without, without trusting what you see or feel. That you may leave tonight knowing God better so that you can trust fully in Him. Let us begin by seeing that to have present that we need to trust God, that we need to remember that He is just, that He is just despite of what you see and despite of what you feel. Look what verse 1 says. 1 Samuel 15:1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Samuel, as you see, Saul has been on a decline more and more. Despite he had everything to be a great king, he has not taken advantage of it and is a bad king. He has done things according to his own way without taking God into consideration. In this chapter, he has a new opportunity to obey God. But for that reason, the prophet is asking that he fulfills this mission, that he will obey God. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. The message of God begins describing his justice. That now it was time to punish the nation of Amalek because of their sin. The Amalekites, they were descendants of Esau, brother of twin brother of Jacob, of where the Israelites come from. The Bible says that these two brothers were fighting since they were in the womb of their mother. When Israel comes out of captivity from Egypt, the Amalekites attacked them and they had a very close battle. This is a famous battle where Israel would win every time that Moses's, Moses Moses would lift his hands up in Exodus 17. At the end, God gave the victory to Israel, but that is not where that battle was going to end. Exodus 17, 14 says, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that, it, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. God said that the battle was going to continue later and that he was going to utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. What did Amalek do that was so bad that God would wipe them out of the face of the earth? Deuteronomy 25:17 tells us Amalek did not respect the, the rules of war. That even in war, there are rules that should be respected. Deuteronomy 25, 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you and he did not fear God. When you were tired and when you were worked and he had no Fear of God. These people didn't fear the Lord. They should have battled with the warriors of Israel face to face, but instead of doing that, they went from the back where the kids were, where the elders were, where the women were, and killed them all. This was a crime that God had to find justice in, and this was a time for that justice. Deuteronomy 25:19 says the following, Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. You shall not forget. God had not forgotten, and it was time, and it was time that the Amalekites would pay for their war crimes. As you can see, God does not do anything unjust. God is the fountain of all justice. We can see it clearly in what he does because he is just. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, God, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. There is no injustice in him and without any iniquity in him. And therefore, there cannot be any injustice in God. The rest of the verse says, just and upright is he. Paul indicates also that there's no injustice in our God. Because he cannot go against his nature. Romans 9.14 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By, and he answers emphatically, By no means. No, there is no injustice in God. Maybe in our minds that are so small, we're not able to evaluate things and consider them, and, and we consider them unjust, but God is not unjust. What we should do is trust in God, but that trust, my brothers, that trust is not blind. It's based on the word of God that he has revealed to us. The Bible shows us 
that only God can judge justly. No one else can do so. There is no man that can judge justly as God does. <laughs> to do a just, to do just justice, there is many things to evaluate. It requires to know the events prior. No one can knows everything that has in, happened in the past, present, and future because God is eternal. It also requires to be a witness. No one can be a witness, an eyewitness, just as God, because he is omnipresent. He has been there. Also, it's required that the, we evaluate the intentions of the heart, and no one can evaluate the intentions of the heart. Only God can because he is omniscient. No one, no one can just ask perfectly as our God does it. For that reason, uh, theologian Wayne Gruden says about the justice of God. The Lord is always acting justly in what is right. And he is the supreme norm of what it is to be just. That is the God of the Bible. The, an extraordinary example of God's justice is seen in the salvation of man. Every man is a sinner and deserves God's justice. The punishment, Romans 3.23, says that all have sin. But when, the Jesus, but when Jesus Christ took the punishment over him to satisfy the wrath of God, now we are declared just because the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself as the just and appropriate payment for our sins. Romans 3.24 says the following, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. So therefore, there is no injustice in our God. He paid the price justly. He is the standard of justice. We can conclude this point by saying that God is judging in a just way to the Amalekites. Us, we were not there. We we don't know the heart of those men. We do not have all the proof and evidence, only God. And so, therefore, we can trust fully that God is just, despite of what we read, despite of what we see, and despite of what we feel. We saw that studying God's justice helps us to trust fully in Him. He does nothing that is unjust. But now we're going to see that meditating in His patience can also trust in Him. And that is our second point. God is patient. Look what it says, verse 3. This is the order. 
now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. God's judgment against Amalek is emphatic. Saul should not have mercy to Amalek or his descendants because they had no mercy on the Israelites. As we saw before, this order seems drastic, but God is judging with a just justice. The, the word here, destroy in Hebrew, was being used to consecrate something towards God through extermination. It's as a, when something, a people is being conquered that was idolatrous and all the objects of pagan worship was destroyed. It was being dedicated or consecrated something completely to God. And that is a word that is being used here. To be consecrated or dedicated completely all this nation and all those objects to God with possibility of recuperating them. This war, this battle through this word is not just physical, but it's also spiritual. Because of the abominations that the Amalekites did. If we begin to study the, context, the historic context, we're going to find a very beautiful attribute of God. Our God is not pleased in the death of sinners. This order, it doesn't bring pleasure to God. He desires that they would repent and that they would turn from their bad ways. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And the answer is yes. Yes. The sinners will, lay, will live if they depart from their evil ways because our God is merciful. 18.32 Ezekiel. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. He does not, he's not pleased in the death of anyone. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn, so turn and live. God wants people to repent and to live. That is the heart of our God. The justice of God does not allow to save those without repentance. Ezekiel 33, 11 says the following. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? I don't know about you. But for me, this is moving to know that the God is sovereign and creator of heaven and earth and almighty is exhorting his people like this with so much love so that they would repent of their sins and be able to save them. God is willing to forgive even the worst sinner if he would repent, for example. When the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, as he was being crucified between two thieves, and they were 
sentenced to crucifixion, it's because their crimes were very harsh. But there in the cross, one repented of his sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And the other, and the other did not repent. Luke 23:43. And he said to him, to this that repented, truly I say to you today, today you will be with me in paradise. For the surprise of many, this verse, this, this, this criminal went to heaven. Why? Because God is pleased in saving. He does not want this death of the sinner. The descendants of Amalek did not repent from their crimes and all their abominations. If they would have called out to God, the God of mercy repented, take for sure, for certain, that God would have received them and saved them with great joy. I continue to expose the historical context to see this beautiful attribute of God. In 1446 B.C., approximately, Israel leaves Egypt, and short time after is when the Amalekites attacked them. In the year 1400, 46 years later, Moses dies and Joshua conquers the promised land. In the year 1211, 200 years later, approximately, Joshua dies and begins the, the time of the judges as Deborah, Gideon, Samson, and finally Samuel. In the year 1051 B.C., approximately, Saul is chosen by the people as the first king of Israel. A few years later, God gives the mission uh, to Saul to end with the Amalekites. Can you see it, my brothers? There was approximately 400 years since the war crime of the Amalekites until now. 400 years. Can you see the attribute of God that I'm trying to describe? The patience. The patience of God, which is an attribute that the Amalekites took for granted and did not take advantage of. The Apostle Peter describes from his point of view, the, point, the divine point of view, the just, the just justice taken for the Amalekites. Second Peter 3.9 says, the word says, the Lord, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. A some count slowness, but is patient toward you. God had said that he would judge the abominations of the Amalekites, but is patient toward you. God waited 400 years, 400 long years uh, patiently for the Amalekites to repent, but they didn't. You know, God is patient for those 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not pleased in the death of sinners, but the sinner abuses of God's patience. And the attribute that I'm describing is patience of God. Our God is very patient until today. God continues to be patient with the sinner, waiting for that sinner to repent of his perverse ways and place their faith in the Lord Jesus. What do they do? But instead of repenting and looking for refuge in Jesus Christ, as the Amalekites, they continue in their sin day and night. But as in this one day, one day God's patience will get to its limit and that hand of mercy that is extended right now will not be there any longer and the hand of judgment will come over them. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. These are the ones that repented of their sins and, and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. These are the ones that take for granted the offer of salvation from God as the Amalekites did. If you recognize that you are a sinner as the Amalekites, remember that God is great in mercy and ready to save. Don't wait more. The patience of God. As we see. The patience of God. Is there. And run towards the Lord for repentance. Take for certain. Take for certain. That he will save you. And forgive you. We saw that studying justice and patience of God. Uh, allows us to trust fully in Him. Now we will see that resting in His omniscience will also help us in a great way as the passage demonstrates to us. And our third point is, God is omniscient. Remember, we have come to the section that has caused a lot of controversy, but as we had studied the historic context, you are able to see that it's important because later after studying that historic context, now, now this text is not so uh, obscure as we had read it in the beginning. That it would be before we get a verse and take it, uh, draw conclusions, that we study the context and know exactly what's going on. Another thing that I would like to comment to you is that 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is inspired by God. It means that 1 Samuel 15.3, as in inspired as John 3.16, is that one talks about the justice of God, and the other one talks about God's love, but in both we see the same God. It's a great error trying to take passages like this out of context, because we have a great opportunity to know God better. 
verse 3 says, the second part, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God, through the prophet, asked Saul to exterminate this nation because of their practices that are abominable. Verse 4. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them and tell him 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. After Saul and the army heard the order, what did they do? They prepared for war. I, I, I feel like there's something missing here, maybe. How is it possible that after hearing this order, some dramatic and strong, that they didn't say anything? Not the prophet, not Saul, not the warriors. No one opposed. Not even a comment is recorded here. They knew that this was the just justice of God and that this is not the first time that God will eliminate sin like this. Look what Genesis 7.17 says. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. Verse 22. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life, everything on dry land, died. That is a similar justice as the Amalekites. Or how about Genesis 19.24? Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. In all these acts of justice, God was very patient with the sinners. But they, they did not want to repent and took advantage of God's patience. The Amalekites, 400 years to repent and to take advantage of that patience of God. But they did not repent. On the contrary, they continue to commit abominations before God. They continue to do what was evil. And they united with other pagan nations and did a lot of damage. An example of this is Judges 6.3. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, they had worked hard. They had planted. They had invested the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. My brothers, if they did not repent in 400 years, they would not do it in 400 more. And their evil and wickedness would continue to increase and from that wickedness was going to be out of control. I ask what did they teach their children? What would they train them up for? 
What would they instruct them? Well, these young children, you can you cannot see? Not, nothing good. Nothing good. God in his omniscience knew that the generations of the future will continue to go in that wicked ways. And the wickedness would continue to increase. Verse 7, 1 Samuel 15. And Saul, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, but devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. He went to the mission, Saul, but he did not complete the mission. We see here that he leaves the king of the Amalekites alive. And as we see later on, that many more stayed alive. What, what happened years later when these young Amalekites would, be, uh, would grow up? Only God omniscient knew this and he wanted to avoid it. Look what 1 Samuel 31 says. Now when David, some years later, now when David and his man came to Ziklag, on the third day, the Amalekites, who? The Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. These men did not change. They continued in their atrocities, and God in his omniscience knew this was going to happen. Verse 2, And taking captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, they killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. They destroyed the homes. They burned everything. And they kidnapped the women, the children. God knew this was going to happen in his omniscience. They would continue to do more harm. And with, with time, the, pro, the next generations of the Amalekites, would they change? Definitely not. Definitely not. It was the year 473 B.C., approximately about 500 years later of this passage in 1 Samuel, a person in a lot of influence, Amen, is raises and his, he is, and people like, as Flavio Josefo say, that Agag is a metaphor for Amalek. In other words, Amen was an Amalekite. And what did he want to do? He had a hatred for the Jews and could not tolerate them. We see in Esther 3, verse 8 and 9, and Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples 
in all the provinces of your kingdom. These people, do, their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it's not the king's profit to tolerate them. It's to say, he is referring to the Jews. Verse 9 of what this corrupt man say, If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And God in his omniscience knew that this would happen and wanted to protect the people of Israel from many other atrocities. At the end, absolutely all the Amalekites died. True. If you read uh, Ezekiel there, we read when they were exterminated for completely. Sadly, many re rebelled against God and now are in a, an eternal condemnation. But those that died in an early age of innocence, small, where are they now? Where are they now? We believe faithfully that they are rejoicing in the presence of the Lord. Why do we believe that? Because as we read, our God is just and will give according to his labors in his last day. Revelation 20, 13 says, And the sea, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. A baby in the womb of the mom, what works can they be to be judged? And the Lord Jesus Christ indicated that have the children says Jesus, he was indignant, let the children come to me. And that word is talking about a, a small one, an immature, an infant, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And many other passages that we see. Returning to our passage, seeing this order before us that seems very ab abrupt, God in his omniscience was protecting those children. Now, that, like this, they were not going to suffer an eternal condemnation as the rest that died without a relationship with him. Maybe we, if we wanted to read this passage of another uh, more theological, more soft, we could say the following, God, God decided to take heaven to those little ones that were from Amalek to a very early age. Before God's eyes, before God's eyes, the death of the children of those from those that have a personal relationship with him is not a tragedy as it is for those that are older. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death 
of his saints. Psalm 72, 14 says, From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. For God, the death of his saints is the door that is open to, in order for them to be set free from this world and to enjoy in glory the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in a place where there is no longer sin, there is no longer pain or wickedness. And they go to live forever. I end with this. As you can see, having a concept that is adequate and appropriate of God is very important. The theologian A.W. Tozer says, having a correct concept of God is something fundamental. Not just in theology, systematic theology, but also for the Christian life in practice. This is very important. And as we studied in this evening, as A.W. Tozer is a great practice. Not only are there passages in Scripture that are difficult, but also in life there are circumstances that require us to know God well. And if we don't, we will believe in a God that is unjust, a God that re rejoices in the death of the wicked. And that is not the God of the Bible. Doctor, Practicing doctor and pastor Matt Rare in his book, Redeeming Memories, gives us an example of this. He writes, 8 July 2005, my family made a long trip to help my wife and I to move into our new apartment. They were just married. And he says, they w were listening to worship and eating slushies from Sonic, and they get closer and closer. Instantly, the destiny of my family changed from Houston to heaven. My dad, my mom, and my two sisters. We went from making memories in the present to be a memory of the past. In that terrible night, while we're still waiting for them, a call from 9-11-911 confirmed the death of four people in a vehicle that matched my sister's vehicle. Brothers, before our eyes, is this truly a tragedy? And we cannot deny the great pain of that this young man felt. It's a great pain. This young man grew up with his family and in our church, worshiping and serving and praise and worship and, and teaching. As our illustration in the beginning of the husband, the first that comes to his mind, what, what came to Matt Rare was what most important. And he only has two options. One, think the worst of his Lord and Savior 
or to think the best. He does not deny the pain, but we need to move forward. What he thinks about Moses, what's going to be most important. Matt Rare continues to relate in his book the pain that he had in that day and writes the following, trembling. I opened up my Bible to Psalm 73. tears, I said, who do I have in heaven but you? And apart from you, I desire nothing. My flesh and my heart can wood, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, what a great testimony. Matt truly knows God and he can trust in him fully, although what he sees or what he lives. One day, one day there will be a great reunion of the family rare in heaven next to his Savior. And Matt knows this. And because of that, in this, this book will be available in Spanish. Thanks to many of you. And we know that it will bless our Hispanic people. Our prayer is that when you leave through those doors, that you will know our God better so that you can trust plainly in Him despite of what you see and despite of what you feel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your revelation and the ability You give us to understand it, to understand these passages that are difficult to digest, to go in a deeper study. Our God is merciful. He is loving and He is patient, but He is also just. Help us to move forward, trusting fully in You, and even as life becomes difficult, that we may never forget who is our God. And when we sing... And when we're through the valley of shadow of death, we will not fear because you are with us. I pray for help of my brothers as they're going through difficult circumstances. Please help them that these truths will remind them who is the God on whom they have trusted. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Por favor, póngase de pie. Please. <coughs>